What's up, everyone? It's Saturday, February 3rd, 2018. It's crazy that we already into the second month of this year. Years go by so fast. But thank you for tuning in to the Amber Daily, where you can come and hear about the latest news and some tips on ways of achieving your health and fitness goals. Also, also make sure to check me out on Twitter at Amber Jolene and also on Instagram at Amber underscore JHW. Now let's get into some news. So warm weather is approaching and what comes with warm weather is mosquitoes, our mosquitoes. And here they are terrible. Hopefully the warm weather is coming soon which I would love because this cold weather here has just been lasting too long. We have met our quotas for all of this coldness that we have been experiencing. But in the science news, there's an article in relation to mosquitoes remembering human smells, but also swats. And it states that study shows that hosts who swat at mosquitoes or perform other defensive behaviors, behaviors may be abandoned no matter how sweet. From Virginia Tech, a new study shows that mosquitoes can rapidly learn and remember the smells of hosts and that dopamine is a key mediator of this process. The study proved a mosquito's preference can shift if that person's smell is associated with an unpleasant sensation. The study published on January 25th of this year in the journal Current Biology shows that mosquitoes can rapidly learn and remember the smells of hosts and that dopamine is a key mediator of this process. Mosquitoes use this information and incorporate it with other stimuli to develop preferences for a particular vertebrate host species and within that population certain individuals. However, the study also proved that even if an individual is deemed delicious smelling, a mosquito's preference can shift if that person's smell is associated with an unpleasant sensation. Hosts who swat at mosquitoes or perform other defensive behaviors may be abandoned no matter how sweet. I'm going to stop right there because I don't know if this is true or not because in my experience as I'm swatting and trying to get them jokers away they still coming back so I don't know if this is some other type of mosquito they experiencing but I know mosquitoes here I don't care how many times you swat they are still coming back even if it's a different one or whatever another excerpt in this article states that unfortunately there is no way of knowing exactly what attracts a mosquito to a particular human Individuals are made up of unique molecular cocktails that include combinations of more than 400 chemicals, said Lahandari. However, we now know that mosquitoes are able to learn odors emitted by their hosts and avoid those that were more defensive. Okay, so I may be reading too deep into this, but are they stating, I'm wondering if they are stating that if I decide I wanted to go outside all nice and nasty and smelling terrible that mosquitoes will leave me alone that's what it sounds like i'm not sure but in in any event they say that mosquitoes deter away from any odor that is unpleasant to me i think they don't care if you want to read more about this you can check it out on www.sciencedaily.com So this next article from blackgirlhealth.com involves, is talking about 
intermittent fasting one-on-one which I actually do sometimes some days some days I'll just drink herbal tea up until 12 o'clock I don't eat any solid foods and then after 12 noon I'll go right into eating whatever I'm trying to eat for that day I'm usually not hungry in the morning it just depends on my hormonal balance which us women we as women go through sometimes but usually I don't really have an appetite anyway in the morning so that's a perfect time if you want to do intermittent fasting to do that the article title is intermittent fasting 101 how to maximize your weight loss results when most people think of intermittent fasting they only think of starvation and tend to ignore the health benefits Research studies reveal that reducing your daily calorie intake by 20 to 40% is an effective way to lose weight, improve cardiovascular, boost metabolism health, and prevent disease. However, most people find it difficult to eat less during the day, especially if their daily diet consists of eating five to six meals every two to three hours. Realistically, who would want to feel hungry? So before you adopt a new diet regimen, intermittent fasting, here's what you need to know. So what is intermittent fasting? Intermittent fasting, IF, involves alternating cycles of fasting and eating. This eating system typically focuses on when to eat, not necessarily what to eat. There are several different methods of intermittent fasting, but most people use the 16 by eight method. The 16 by 18 method, consists of eating during an eight-hour period. Excuse me, the 16-8 method consists of eating during an eight-hour period and fasting for 16 hours. During the eight-hour eating period, you can eat high-protein, low-carb meals. Also, you can snack on fruits and nuts to help you stay fuller for longer. However, during the 16-hour period, you must avoid food and only consume water, tea, coffee, or non-caloric uh, caloric beverages. During this process, do not drink caffeine in the evenings. You want to sleep for eight hours or more to help maximize your weight loss results. After about two to three days of completing the 16 by eight method, some people then fast for 24 hours or at least twice a week. Overall fasting, overall fasting can improve and prevent various health risks such as prevent obesity, reduce blood sugar and insulin levels, lower risk of type 2 diabetes, increase human growth hormones, anti-aging hormones, help prevent cancer and Alzheimer's disease, increase health, heart health, and also help increase brain function. You might have done Trap Yoga before, but not with Trap Yoga Bay on blackdoctor.org. Interview by Tia Muhammad. She was asked, how long did it take for you to fall in love with yoga and actually get good at it? She states, I knew yoga could change my life. I just didn't know how to be consistent. My relationship with yoga was very spotty the first few years, but I actually loved yoga after my first few classes. I studied positive psychology during my undergraduate studies and for my senior thesis. I was curious if yoga could help people in transition. Truth is, we are always in transition, right? Reduce stress and anxiety. Part of my study was to attend yoga classes regularly and journal how I felt. In my own personal study and in the research I found, it said yoga does help. Actually get good at it, that's so subjective and evolving. I have been, I have seen the tremendous progress that I can make with a consistent practice. 
but I have also learned and lost some key poses like splits and headstands. But to feel confident that I was capable of doing all those twisty bendy moves, that takes a few months to respect your body enough to know that it is capable of doing it. Believing you can is the first step in getting good at yoga. She was then asked, um, how does music, mental health, and yoga correlate to you? She states, music permeates our existence. It is in our DNA and can affect or move radically, our mood radically. Mental health is the center core of our overall health and well-being. An unhealthy mind tends to lead to unhealthy behaviors and consequence. It is so important and sadly often ignored. And yoga that gives you the opportunity to dive into the journey of self to learn how to bridge your mind and body in a way that brings you closer to your truest self. When you mix these things, you practice influencing yourself to not only live in your truth, but to do it with an understanding of your own strengths, even the strengths that are disguised as limitations. She was asked also, some women just aren't into the mental benefits of yoga. What can yoga do for women who just want a banging body? She states, I'm asked all the time if all I do is yoga, I usually laugh it off and respond. If you think it takes more than yoga to get a banging body, then you have never been to my class. There are many branches of yoga and many of them are not all easy breathing and making your body do weird things. My favorite type, which is vinyasa, I hope I'm saying it correctly, is physically demanding and more than enough to help you reach your body goals. You'll get that banging body and may just find some inner peace while you're at it. Who doesn't enjoy a two for one day like that? They also asked her, what made you want to share your specialty of trap yoga with the world? She states, when I traveled to India, it was doing a rough time in my life, divorce, and I just wanted to practice yoga daily. Well, the least expensive way to do it was to join a yoga teacher's training program. And so that's what I did. Once I left India, I wanted to keep on my journey. So I went and spent another month in China, Colombia, and then Brazil. When I got back, I knew I had changed. I realized I had found my truest self and I wanted to share my story and how I found a way to make beauty for my hardships. A friend of mine practiced with me and said without me even speaking about my story, she could feel the whole process that I went through for my classes. From that moment, I knew that was the way I would share my joy with those that identified with me in some way. The last question that they asked her, like doctor asked her, if you could invite any celebrity to your class, who would you tell to pull up and why? She states, when I get the chance, I'm inviting Issa Rae to my class. I love that she shared her truest self with the world and it seemed to create space for people to identify with her, to raise their flags and be cool with being awkward or whatever. Plus, she is rooting for everybody black, so I know she's my type of friend. You can check out more of this article article on blackdoctor.org. There's an article coming from self.com that I think is really needed when it comes to cultural, cultural differences in regards to nutrition. The article title is Your Nutrition Advice Won't Help If It's Not Culturally Sensitive by Christine Byrne. It's a pretty long article, so I'm going, to, I'm going to just take bits and pieces and kind of read what I thought was some important parts to express about this article. 
The article states, while nutrition is a science, food is personal and healthy eating is a little bit different for everyone. There are so many factors that shape the way we eat, taste preferences, goals, schedules, food availability, and a person's cultural background is a huge, has a huge impact on their relationship with food. The role of a registered dietitian is to counsel others on nutrition. So it's important that RDs are sensitive both to individual preferences and cultural differences when giving nutrition advice. The thing is, when it comes to diversity, the nutrition field is lacking. 78% of all dietitians in the U.S. identify as white, according to the Commission of Diet Dietetic Registration. There is also a lack of culturally diverse nutrition advice, both in official nutrition resources and in the media. Because of this, it's especially important that dietitians work to understand their clients' backgrounds and values around food and that they give nutrition advice that's culturally sensitive and relevant. To shed a little more light on a topic that's complicated and has so many implications, Self asked seven registered dietitians from various cultural and ethnic backgrounds about the intersection of food and culture, culture, why diversity in the nutrition field is so important, and how they work to give culturally sensitive nutrition advice in their own practices. Jessica Jones, MSRD CDE co-founder of Food Heaven Made Easily. She states, although we have seen more people of color enter the field since I started practicing dietetics five years ago, the diversity rates are still abysmal and the inclusion needs to be happening at a faster pace. People often think of diversity as obligatory checkboxes without realizing that it actually enhances our organizations and makes us better providers. When more cultures are represented, we're able to connect with patients on a more meaningful level. I think that when it comes to food and nutrition media, the problem is worse. Wellness is typically equated to a naturally thin, able-bodied blonde woman striking yoga poses or drinking a green smoothie in a remodeled white kitchen. This is unfortunate because it excludes so many people who don't identify with that narrative. We need to do a better job of including practitioners of color in the healthcare conversation by being inclusive when deciding who to invite to speak on panels or who to feature on our platforms. She has stated that she's worked in hospitals, private practice, community nutrition, and outpatient clinic settings on an average about 60 to 75% of the clients have been women of color. So many of the patients are very appreciative to see a dietitian that looks like them and makes an attempt to understand the culture, food, preferences, and barriers to behavior changes. For example, many of the patients have an extremely limited income and healthy foods like salmon and avocados may be too expensive for them to eat on a weekly basis. Likewise, it's common practice to recommend an outdoor walk as physical activity, but many providers don't realize that some people don't feel safe walking around their neighborhoods after work. Miho Hatanaka, RDN, mindful eating coach at Coach Viva, founder of Zen Integrative Nutrition. She states, when I immigrated to the U.S. from Japan at age 11, the culture, the culture shock I experienced with the food offered at school was more jarring to me than not being able to communicate with my classmates due to the language barrier. In fact, this experience is what first made me want to become a dietitian. 
As a dietitian, it's important to know not only what your clients eat, but also to understand the role that food plays in their culture, as it often shapes their beliefs about health and medicine as well. In Japan, for example, many of us believe that certain foods have medicinal properties, and we look at food as the first line of defense against disease. Nora Zibda, MS, RDN, and COT, she states, I have my own practice in Northern Virginia, the DC area, which is very diverse, and my clientele is not predominantly Muslim. I focus primarily on helping patients who suffer from specific digestive conditions, poor thyroid health, autoimmune conditions, food sensitivities, and a few other problems that span all races, religions, and genders. I do feel a connection with my patients who grew up in other parts of the world, whether in Asian, African, European, or South American countries, there's always something we miss about home. I've also learned recipes from patients and taught them to others, like a savory breakfast pancake recipe from a South Asian patient. She makes a batter from eggs and chickpea flour, adds vegetables, and eats it for breakfast. That's a creative new meal idea. Wendy Lopez, MS, RD, and CDE, co-founder of Food Heaven Made Easy. She states, it's been incredibly frustrating to not have more people of color within the field of nutrition. Thinking back on my days as a student, I felt isolated within the program and felt like I couldn't really connect with most of the students or staff. I envisioned graduate graduate school being this enriching experience where I would develop where I would develop strong bonds with future colleagues. Sadly, this wasn't the case, most mostly because I felt very really uncomfortable being one of the only students of color on a campus in Harlem, New York. The irony. Now that I'm a registered dietitian, some of those frustrations remain, but I feel more supported because I've been intentional about seeking connections with a diverse network of dietitians. Sobia Khan, MSc and RD, Professor of Food and Nutrition at George Brown College, author of 150 Best Indian, Asian, Caribbean, and More Diabetes Recipes. She states, living in Toronto, I've always worked with a diverse group of dietitians and I am constantly learning from people of different cultural backgrounds, whether they're fellow RDs, clients, chefs, or my culinary students. If you work with food, whether it's as a chef or an RD, your own cultural background is significant. In a way, it's an area of expertise and having a unique background can help you stand out and really engage with clients from similar backgrounds. In my experience, my South Asian students and clients are appreciative that I understand their language and cultural cuisine. My parents migrated to Canada from Pakistan, so I can also relate to the challenges that come along with this as well, especially as it pertains to changes in lifestyle. Ha Gwen, an RD and an LDN, founder of Yummy Body Nutrition. I, she states, I live in Philadelphia, which to me is truly the city of brotherly love. Most people here are progressive and cultured. They embrace the different cuisines, no matter what their ethnicity, and love the boomy food scene here. I think it's important for dietitians to understand the foundations of diff different ethnic food cultures, especially in diverse areas like this. 
at Drexel University where I studied nutrition, learning how to be a culturally sensitive dietitian was strongly emphasized in our curriculum. All students in the nutrition program had to take a cultural diversity class in a food course called Foods and Nutritional World Cultures. Each week, a different person was assigned a country and tasked to research the country's cuisine develop and, and develop a menu and cook for the class. My consultations include a full intake of my client's food history and lifestyle. What kind of foods are they eating? How do they prepare it? Who do they live with? Who are they eating dinner with? Where do they go grocery shopping? Who is doing the cooking? Giving someone effective nutrition advice is about figuring out healthy habits that align with their lifestyle and their values. Nazima Qureshi, an MPH and RD, founder of Nutrition by Nazima. She states, over the past couple of years, I have looked at being a Muslim woman and a dietitian as an opportunity for engagement and discussion with other dietitians about the importance of developing and delivering culturally sensitive nutrition information. Although there is a lot of fantastic evidence-based nutrition information out there, there's a lack of consideration when it comes to cultural, religious, and other personal factors. Working exclusively with Muslim women has allowed me to develop and deliver nutrition content in a variety of ways that is more specific to this audience, which I think makes the information more useful and applicable to real life. Specifically, many Muslims fast in the month of Ramadan for 30 days from sunrise to sunset, and it can be difficult to provide generic nutrition advice in this situation without fully understanding the scope of fasting. Every year, I share a lot of content related to Ramadan, including a 30-day meal plan that incorporates factors such as eating during limited hours and how to fast safely while breastfeeding. I feel that all of these women give a very good insight on how we need to start approaching um, nutrition consultations with various individuals of different cultural backgrounds. I feel that if we start being more diverse with our options and gear more to what people may be used to in their culture that the um, connotation of importance of exp of explaining how important eating well and nutrition is will cross over more um, it will cross over better to individuals so they can have a better insight oh this is what I can eat and that type of thing so great article, really, really great article. If you want to check out more of the article, because it's very long, you can go to www.self.com and look for the article's name um, called Your Nutrition Advice Won't Help If It's Not Culturally Sensitive. Ha Gwen, an RD and an LDN, founder of Yummy Body Nutrition. I, she states, I live in Philadelphia, which to me is truly the city of brotherly love. Most people here are progressive and cultured. They embrace the different cuisines, no matter what their ethnicity, and love the booming food scene here. I think it's important for dietitians to understand the foundations of diff different ethnic food cultures, especially in diverse areas like this. At Drexel University, where I studied nutrition, learning how to be a culturally sensitive dietitian was strongly emphasized in our curriculum. All students in the nutrition program had to take a cultural diversity class in a food course called Foods and Nutritional World Cultures. Each week, a different person was assigned a country and tasked to 
research the country's cuisine develop and, and developing menu and cook for the class. My consultations include a full intake of my client's food history and lifestyle. What kind of foods are they eating? How do they prepare it? Who do they live with? Who are they eating dinner with? Where do they go grocery shopping? Who is doing the cooking? Giving someone effective nutrition advice is about figuring out healthy habits that align with their lifestyle and their values. Nazima Qureshi, an MPH and RD, founder of Nutrition by Nazima. She states, over the past couple of years, I have looked at being a Muslim woman and a dietitian as an opportunity for engagement and discussion with other dietitians about the importance of developing and delivering culturally sensitive nutrition information. Although there is a lot of fantastic evidence-based nutrition information out there, there is a lack of consideration when it comes to cultural, religious, and other personal factors. Working exclusively with Muslim women has allowed me to develop and deliver nutrition content in a variety of ways that is more specific to this audience, which I think makes the information more useful and applicable to real life. Specifically, many Muslims fast in the month of Ramadan for 30 days from sunrise to sunset, and it can be difficult to provide generic nutrition advice in this situation without fully understanding the scope of fasting. Every year, I share a lot of content related to Ramadan, including a 30-day meal plan that incorporates factors such as eating during limited hours and how to fast safely while breastfeeding. I feel that all of these women give a very good insight on how we need to start approaching um, nutrition consultations with various individuals of different cultural backgrounds. I feel that if we start being more diverse with our options and gear more to what people may be used to in their culture, that the um, connotation of importance of, exp of explaining how important eating well and nutrition is will cross over more um, it will cross over better to individuals so they can have a better insight. Oh, this is what I can eat and that type of thing. So great article, really, really great article. If you want to check out more of the article, because it's very long, you can go to www.self.com and look for the article's name um, called Your Nutrition Advice Won't Help If It's Not Culturally Sensitive. Now let's get into the tip for today. Okay, so the tip for today is basically checking out different events in your local area to participate in, whether it's nutrition or fitness. And some of those ways that you can look into finding out about different events are to are to um, look into Eventbrite. I know if you can go out on eventbrite.com, they have a lot of events that you can look in each category. And then once you go on the website, you can look under like sports class or nutrition class or fitness classes that may be in your local area. And that's a very good thing to do if you want to find out what's going on. Also, Facebook. Facebook is a great place as well if you have, especially if you have a lot of friends and such that you can look into and find out different groups or different programs that have a Facebook page and some of those programs or groups post different events that are happening in your local area as well. Uh, like I said, especially if you have 
different friends, a, a more good variety of friends that are into that sort of thing. You can find out the groups that you may can join. You can also search in Facebook to see what groups are out there in your local area as well. Another thing is to look into what your friends and family are doing. If they are currently living in your location as well, your local area, a lot of your friends may even be yoga instructors or a lot of your friends may even be fitness instructors. I know I have a few people that are on my friends page that are yoga instructors, they're personal trainers. Um, they're also uh, Zumba coaches, Zumba fitness instructors. So a lot of your friends may even have their own thing going on that you can go and join and be involved with as well. I know I tend to see a lot of events happening when the weather gets warmer. A lot of people are having like meetups at different uh, school tracks. So if you, like our area has a lot of universities. So because of all the, the different universities that we have in these one location in the triangle, you can go to various um, parks and trails and things that a lot of people are starting to do these meetup groups where they may go running or walking. Also, there are a lot of um, different walkathons for various charities like breast cancer, heart disease. They have those uh, 5K uh, runs or walks, and those are very good ways to get out there and do some physical activity with also walking for a cause of helping people and donating that such thing. I know in the summer for me, I like to take my younger two, if I'm able to, with their bikes and go on different trails. So while they're riding their bikes, I can also be running, walking or whatever at the same time. That's very cool when it's, the weather is breaking. A lot of the events that I've seen are very inexpensive. Um, they, they do not cost a lot of money. So if you can just get out there and just do some research and find out what's going on in your local area, there are plenty of activities that may be going on. And if they are not from wherever you live at and you may not see a lot, you can also create some yourself. You can even create a group yourself or get a group of people to um, come together and do some fun physical activities. And that concludes this week's episode. Check me out on iTunes and give a great five-star rating. And also check me out on Google Play. Also, um, you can head on over to my website, theamberdaily.com as well. And feel free to leave a comment on any of the topics of today's podcast, which is also uploaded, uploaded on the website as well. Remember, stay safe, eat well, and stay active. Bye.